The epistle for this feast of Christ the King is taken from the St. Paul's letter to the Colossians. Brethren, we give thanks to God the Father, who has made us worthy to share the lot of the saints in light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have our redemption through his blood, the remission of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For in him were created all things in the heavens and on the earth, things visible and things invisible, whether thrones or dominations or principalities or powers. All things have been created through and unto him, and he is before all creatures, and in him all things hold together. Again, he is the head of the body, the church, he who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the first place. For it is pleased God the Father that in him all his fullness should dwell, and that through him he, could, he should reconcile to himself all things, whether on the earth or in heaven, making peace through the blood of his cross in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the 18th chapter of the Gospel of St. John. At that time, Pilate said to Jesus, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Dost thou say this of thyself, or have others told thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thy own people and the chief priests have delivered thee to me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my followers would certainly have thought that I might not be delivered to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Art thou then a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest it, I am a king. This is why I was born, and why I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear Reverend Father, dear faithful, a hundred years ago, Pope Pius XI wrote his first encyclical upon assuming the Supreme Pontificate. This encyclical was entitled Ubi Arcano, and it was five years after World War I, after the world had suffered this devastating loss of human life, this bloody conflict of nations in Europe. And the Pope asked himself, how is it that we have come to this? What is the reason why society has collapsed to such a great degree? He says, if I look around to find the reason, I think I know the answer. It is, he said, a wicked desire among the rulers of nations, the, quote, desire that both our laws and our governments should exist without recognizing God or Jesus Christ on the theory that all authority comes from men, not from God. The whole source of the problems of the world which lead to world wars is a refusal on the part of men to recognize the authority of God. And he said this, this has led to three catastrophes in particular. Catastrophe for society, catastrophe for family, and catastrophe for education. Because of this rejection of the authority of God, the deification of men, where we say we get to make the laws, not God, 
He says, society quite logically and inevitably was shaken to its very depths and even threatened with destruction since there was left to it no longer a stable foundation, everything having been reduced to a series of conflicts to the domination of the majority or to the supremacy of special interests. If we're not acknowledging God as the ultimate authority, then it's absolute chaos in society. There's no one to call the shots. It's everybody against everybody. Then secondly, because of this, legislation was passed which did not recognize that either God or Jesus Christ had any rights over marriage. And so marriage was no longer honored as a particular institution established by God. Marriage was up for grabs. Marriage was up for redefinition when God is not acknowledged. And so the stability and the unity of the family was undermined, and the home, he says, was more and more frequently profaned by acts of sinful lust and soul-destroying egotism. Destruction of society, destruction of the family, and then thirdly, the destruction of education. Because of this rejection of the authority of God, God and Jesus Christ, as well as his doctrines, were banished from the schools. In public education, teachers were forbidden to speak to students about God. They were forbidden to teach to them the moral law. They were forbidden to say to them, this is who created you, and he made you for this purpose, and you are supposed to follow this manner of behaving in order to live as a proper human being. And when this instruction in morality is taken away, this instruction in godliness is taken away, Pope Pius XI says, schools are no longer able to accomplish their proper function. What is the reason for which schools are instituted? It is to lead children to virtue, to form them in virtue. But if you cannot speak about God, if you cannot speak about the moral law, then you cannot accomplish that purpose. He, he says, the school, forcibly deprived of the right to teach anything about God or his law, cannot but fail in its efforts to really educate, that is, to lead children to the practice of virtue. Thus, a triumphant materialism served to prepare mankind for the propaganda of anarchy and of social hatred, which was let loose on such a great scale. When these children are deprived of all moral education, they are in a state of great vulnerability to propaganda because they have no principles to guide their life. When they're taught anything, they're more likely to take it in and just accept it, especially the doctrines of immorality and rampant materialism. So Pope Pius XI saw all these things a hundred years ago and lamented them, that when you reject the authority of God over society, society itself crumbles, the family crumbles, education crumbles. But what he could not anticipate at that time is the fact and what and the consequences of what would happen if the Catholic Church herself began to adopt this idea that it's man who makes the laws and not God. If the Catholic Church herself, which is instituted by God, if the churchmen no longer wanted to recognize the rights of God, in the realm of religion. Of course, this is one of the main characteristics of the Second Vatican Council, which happened just decades after the pontificate 
of Pope Pius XI. One of the main characteristics is a failure to recognize the rights of the kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are those rights? Our Lord, because he is God, has the right to be worshipped by all human beings. There is only one God. He has created this universe, this world. He has created all of us. He sustains us in existence at every moment. And because of that, we owe him homage. We owe him homage according to who he is. We do not have a right to make up our own religion. We do not have a right to make up our own way of worshiping God, or even worse, our own God, to project our own imagination of what we want God to be. But we have to take the actual God who is existing, who has made us, and we have to live according to what he's revealed to us, what he has told us about himself, and what he has told us about how he is to be worshipped. That is just his rights. God is God. He has a right to demand that we worship him in the right way. But of course, because of, of our fallen human nature, because of our rebelliousness, we do not like this. We want to be able to say, I get to choose my own God. I get to worship the God of my choice. I get to choose whatever religion I want to worship. And perhaps especially, I get to go around and tell everybody that they're okay in their religion, that whatever religion you want to worship him, it's fine, and that you have a right to choose that religion. This supposed right to choose religion, which is called religious liberty, or is called liberty of conscience, or is called liberty of worship, is seen by everyone today to be something that is endowed upon us, that, that we have a right to. And the language is, is very euphemistic. Whenever we hear, like, freedom or, or liberty, we are very positively inclined to, to those words. We're, we're, think, we're very inclined to think, this is something that is good. But what we have to understand is that when people say liberty of worship or they say religious liberty, they are including in this term the right of every human being to make up their own religion, to make up their own God. And there is no such right. Either God has the right to be God and have us worship him as God, to tell us who he is and have us worship him in a way that corresponds to who he is, or we have that right, one or the other. If we give to human beings, if we say that human beings have the right to choose their own religion, to make their own God, to worship however they want, then we are saying to God, you can't tell us what our religion is supposed to be. You can't tell us who you are. You can't tell us the way that we're supposed to worship. That's up to us. That's my right. That's not your right. And this is what is done with the so-called right to religious freedom. Because this is not a right possessed by human beings, and it usurps the rights of God. Pope Pius IX, in his Syllabus of Errors in 1864, he listed 80 errors 
infallibly declared that these things are erroneous, they're false, they're heretical. In his list of errors, he included the following. Liberty of conscience and of worship is the proper right of every man. He says, that is wrong. It's not the proper right of every man. You do not have the freedom to make up your own religion. You do not have the freedom to create your own God. We're not saying that, that people are to be forced to choose the right religion. It's one thing to tolerate the practice of a false religion. It's quite another thing to say that someone practicing a false religion has a right to do that. That is to say that it is good, that they're just exercising their God-given rights. Then 101 years later, after the syllabus of errors appeared by a pope, in which he clearly earmarked with characteristics of an infallible declaration to fulfill the four conditions for an infallible declaration. 101 years later, in 1965, Second Vatican Council issued a document called Dintatus Humane, and it claimed to find in human dignity a right to religious liberty, that precisely that religious liberty that was condemned by Pius IX. Dintatus Humane says, the council declares that the right to religious freedom has its foundation in the very dignity of the human person. Moreover, this right of the human person to religious freedom is to be recognized in the constitutional law whereby society is governed and thus it is to become a civil right. That is to say, each individual in this room has a right to choose whatever religion they want to choose. If you want to be a Baptist, fine. If you want to be a Buddhist, fine. If you want to be a Satanist, fine. You have that right. If you want to create your own God and worship him, you have that right. And not only that, if once you've done that, you also have the right to go out to the, the, your fellow citizens in the, in the United States and say to them, hey, come join me. I built this building over here. It's, it's my Baptist church. And I want you to invite you to worship publicly with me in the way that I have decided or in the way that, that some man a couple centuries ago or whatever has decided. We have this right to worship in public however we want. The Second Vatican Council is saying to nations, you must give this to your people. You must say to them that they have a right to establish their institutions, their religious institutions in your nation and worship however they want. What this teaching does is to uncrown our Lord Jesus Christ as King. It's dethroning our Lord. It's saying to our Lord, you cannot tell us what is the way that we are to worship you. You cannot tell us who you are and what is right and wrong in religion. We get to set the rules for religion. What about the rights of our Lord's church, his spotless bride? Again, we know that our Lord only founded one church. There's only one God, there's one incarnation. Our Lord came on this earth. He revealed the full deposit of faith, the truths we are to believe to get to heaven, and he established the Catholic Church. 
He did not establish any other religion. He did not establish the Baptist religion, the Presbyterian religion, the Lutheran religion, any of those. And so there is only one religion that is true, and there is only one religion as a result that has rights from God. And our Lord, he, we, we say that he gave his life for his church. We, we, following St. Paul, we call the church his bride. Our Lord has one wife, the Catholic Church, and he's wedded to this bride. He's faithful to this bride. He works through her alone. He brings forth souls unto eternal life through his one bride and not through any other. And it was because of these rites of the church that Pius XI issued another encyclical in 1928. It was called Mortalium Animos. And this encyclical was about the Protestant ecumenical movement. So the Protestants in the, in the beginning of the 1900s, they were starting to get together. And they were saying, the Catholic Church has so much unity. The Catholic Church has unity in worship, unity in faith, and unity in government. How can we also have unity? And so they were gathering people of different religions together in various meetings, in interfaith meetings, and they, they were conducting these meetings by having people share their religions with one another. All the religions were on the same level. They were, they were saying, okay, this is my religion. This is how we do religion. How do you do religion? Help me understand you. You understand me. And then at the end, they would come up with some sort of declaration that represented a, a bare minimum of belief that was shared by all. This is how these ecumenical gatherings were organized. And there were certain Catholics who were interested in joining in, being a part of this ecumenical movement. Some, some Catholics were saying, wow, this seems like a great thing. Can't we Catholics get in there and join in the ecumenical meetings? And Pius XI said, no, you cannot. I'm not going to join in these meetings. You must not join in these meetings. These, for a Catholic to participate in these me meetings would be to deny the truth of the Catholic Church. It would be to put the Catholic Church on the same level as these other religions. It be, would be to pretend that there is no one true religion, that somehow all religions are acceptable uh, paths towards salvation. He said it would imply that the Catholic Church is not the true church founded by Christ, because it implies no, no religion can claim to be the true one, that the truths of the gospel were only for the time of our Lord, and somehow we lost them. We don't know what the truth is anymore. We're still searching for the truth. In short, it would be to abandon the rights given to the church by our Lord. He said, It is clear why this apostolic see has never allowed its subjects to take part in the assemblies of non-Catholics. There is but one way in which the unity of Christians may be fostered, and that is by furthering the return to the one true church of Christ of those who are separated from it. Whosoever is not united with the body, the Catholic church, is no member thereof, neither is he in communion with Christ its head. Our ecumenical movement as Catholics is to say to those who are outside the church, <clears throat> please return to the one true sheepfold of Christ in which alone you can find salvation. That is our ecumenical movement. 
Then it was just a few decades later, in 1964, the Second Vatican Council issued a decree entitled Unitatis Redintegratio. <clears throat> and in this document, far from reiterating the teaching of Pope Pius XI, it contradicted that teaching. The purpose of this document was to instruct Catholics on how they might participate in the ecumenical movement. The document starts off by, by saying that the ecumenical movement is fostered by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Pius XI, just a few decades before, was saying, this is wrong. Vatican II was saying, this comes from God, the ecumenical movement. Then, and instead of telling Catholics, you can't do this, you can't, it's wrong for you to participate, it said, during ecumenical gatherings, it is allowable, indeed desirable, that Catholics should join in prayer with their separated brethren. And it even said that, that those non-Catholics are in communion with the Church of Christ. Men who believe in Christ and have been truly baptized are in communion with the Catholic Church, even though this communion is imperfect. That somehow our Lord doesn't just work through the Catholic Church. That, that our, our Lord has other brides, maybe we could call them concubines, through whom he acts and brings souls to salvation. That, that these other false religions are in communion with Christ, that he sanctifies through them. This document also uncrowns our Lord. It takes away from our Lord the right that he has to establish a church, to establish a religion, and to demand, to demand of everybody in the human race that they enter into his church, that they, they go through his church in order to save their souls. So my dear people, if, if the dethroning of God in society causes the ruin of men, the dethroning of God in the church causes the ruin of souls, the loss of so many souls. And if, if we're here today with this mass that shows proper respect to God, which acknowledges the rights of God, if we're here to, to hear the, the actual doctrine of the Catholic Church, um, so, so, you know, this, this is what we're about in the Society of St. Pius X. We want to pass on the actual teaching of the Church, the authentic teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we are doing these things, it is because we want to acknowledge our Lord's kingship over us. We, we want, don't want to be beholden to some secular government, have some secular government direct us uh, towards our goals. We, we don't want to be beholden to some false religion that is not founded by God, does not come from God, to be directing us to our eternal salvation. We want to submit ourselves to the sacred heart of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve him fully. Pius XI, in, at the end of his encyclical Quas Primas on, on the Christ the King, the Feast of Christ the King, he has these beautiful words, and I, and I hope that they express our desire on this day, on this Feast of Christ the, the King. He says, Christ must reign in our minds, which should assent with perfect submission and firm belief to the revealed truths and to the doctrines of Christ. 
Christ must reign in our wills, which should obey the laws and precepts of God. Christ must reign in our hearts, which should spurn natural desires and love God above all things and cleave to him alone. Christ must reign in our bodies and in our members, which should serve as instruments for the interior sanctification of our souls. So my dear faithful, on, on this feast of Christ the King, let us, let us renew in our hearts this desire and let us keep in our hearts during our procession today as we honor our Lord uh, in the Blessed Sacrament, as we honor his kingship. Let us keep in our hearts this desire to do our part in, in our own personal lives, in our families, in our parish community, to give the proper honor that is due to Christ our King by right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.